And then my wife grabbed me and she said, you didn't announce the potluck next week. Potluck next week. <laughs> so come on out. <laughs> We're having a potluck. And Patrick, I want to thank you for covering for me last week. The boy's afraid of spiders, but we won't condemn him for that. <laughs> so, I don't like snakes, man, so hey, I, I'm with you. This morning we're in 1 Samuel. Uh, we'll be going through the remainder of chapter 15. But in 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, we see the prophet Samuel giving to Saul the very heartbeat of God. And we pick up on this, so let me read those two verses to you. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, speaking to Saul, he has also rejected you from being king. As believers, there's so many different religions around the world, even within the Christian uh, sector, and we seek out how to please God. And the reason we seek out how to please God is because of our love towards the Lord and realizing His great love towards us. But it's also within us to want to please our Lord. And we do this in many ways. One of the ways is in heartfelt worship that we read about to worship in spirit and in truth. We know the Father seeks that out of us, so we want to give him heartfelt worship. But I no longer can enter into worship with the same old, what we would call standard hymns, not as a steady diet. There's beautiful songs, don't get me wrong. There's beautiful hymns that are out there. And, uh, and some of them touch your heart. But a steady diet of that, for me, um, I wouldn't be worshiping in a free way. I enjoy a lot of the new worship songs, as well as uh, songs that cause us to reflect and consider God and His nature and His character. And... A couple of weeks ago, I was watching Greg Laurie on TV. You may have watched his evangelical outreach there in Phoenix, Arizona. And it was televised across the U.S. And Greg gave his typical evangelical sermon, and many came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and that's great. But one of the worship groups that Greg had was Mercy Me. And Mercy Me, uh, they're famous really for their one great song. They've done other good stuff, but and their song is I Can Only Imagine. And it's became kind of a classic worship song. 
And they wrote this song 15 to 20 years ago and recorded it. And they sang it at Greg Laurie's crusade there. And it was touching to hear him sing it after, even after 20 years. It has sort of become that classic. Now, I understand different people want to worship God in different ways. There's high church. We're considered low church, by the way. Uh, we can't help it. It's just the best we can do. Uh, but many Christians prefer the standard hymns. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Samuels, he comes to Saul and he says to him, Saul, has the Lord as great delight in offerings and sacrifice or in worship as he does in us simply being obedient to him. Worship definitely has its place in, uh, I think, any worship service, but so does teaching the word, so does prayer. And Samuel's telling Saul it's better to heed, to obey God, than to offer burnt offerings. Make sure you're living what you talk about, is what Samuel is saying to Saul. There's some churches that major in quote-unquote musical worship. And there's some Calvary chapels that put a heavy emphasis upon worship. And and that's that's okay. That's good. But don't forget that the Lord wants us obedient to Him. He wants us obedient to Him and His Word, and worship will come forth out of that. We're blessed to have a quote-unquote two worship teams, you might say. And it's good to see you coming along, Jason. We appreciate you. Seriously. You couldn't get him to sing a couple, three months ago. Now he's leading. <laughs> so that's good. And uh, I certainly appreciate it. But obeying God, having a heart, and this goes for us older folks, that is teachable before God, is more pleasing to God than demonstrated worship. He says, obey me. Get in line with me and my will and let worship come out of that obedience. And Samuel, he speaks of Saul's behavior before the Lord, and he says it's rebellious and it's stubbornness. Saul, your behavior, your actions are not just misguided behavior. They're rebellious. And they're stubborn. So I looked up rebellion in Webster's Dictionary. It's resistance or defiance of any authority or control over you. And with Saul, his resistance, he defies the living God with his behavior. 
Saul is also guilty of what is called witchcraft, practicing sorcery or magical incantations, trying to force God to speak to him through magical ways. But in verse 1437, we read God did not answer Saul. Saul, he had built a, a, a altar for sacrifice. God doesn't respond to the sacrifice. And in those times, the priests would put the, uh, the sacrifice on the altar, and God himself would ignite the altar. God doesn't ignite Saul's altar. He won't do that. He won't be put into a box like that. So what does Saul do? He gets the Ark of the Covenant, and he brings it, and he brings the priest along with it. God doesn't respond to the Ark of the Covenant or the priest, and Saul won't wait for the priest to hear from God. Then Saul is reduced to casting lots, and there's always an answer to casting lots. It's either yes or no. So Saul says, well, hey, I will get an answer this way. But the answer Saul got was against his son Jonathan. And it was an answer in a way that jo uh, Jonathan had to die, according to his own dad's edict. Saul is a king, a leader of Israel who is out of control. And he's too stubborn to repent or admit that he's been disobedient. He won't even admit to being disobedient. Samuel confronts Saul. And Saul said, but I did obey. And these sheep and these oxen that you hear bleeding are for sacrifice. He had kept back what he considered good for sacrifice. And basically, Samuel says, no, they're evidence against your your actions, their evidence that you have not obeyed God by totally destroying all of the Amalekites. Stubbornness is as iniquity, premeditated sin, by the way, and idolatry. Stubbornness is manifested putting priority over the way I think things should be versus the way God says they should be. That's stubbornness. Saul is so stubborn, so set in his ways, he no longer can hear or obey God. Saul has become a king, a leader, who is unteachable before God. Stubborn, stubborn can be good, but Saul is so stubborn to the point that he sins. So stubborn that he no longer listens to God's word to him from God's prophet. Saul has declared to Samuel, I have obeyed God. But evidence says otherwise. The bleeding sheep, the lowing of the oxen, 
They've been spared by Saul when he was told to kill them. King Agag, as a prisoner, he was supposed to kill off all the Amalekites, and here he spares the king. Saul is full of excuses. He would fit well in today's society, wouldn't it? It's not my fault. It's the way I was raised. You know, he would fit right in. He blames everything but his own disobedience. He says, I only spared the animals to sacrifice. But I only spared the best ones. But let's pick up in verse 24, and we'll read through 31. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed in the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and he tore it. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie or relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Verse 24 there, Saul makes a half-hearted confession of sin. I have sinned, and then he says, because, or he gives his excuse, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, fear of man is real, and it does cripple us from being obedient to the Lord at times. Saul's fear of the people is not near as important to him as being popular with the people. Peer pressure, perhaps the greatest of all pressures, and Saul feels it and yields to it. We have had here in the United States past presidents who would take popularity polls on issues before announcing their position on the same issue. They want to know how the people feel, and then they will make up their mind how they make their decision. Saul asked of Samuel, Please pardon my sin so that I may make sacrifice to the Lord with you before the people. Samuel has one answer for Saul. Nope, not going to do it. <laughs> I will not worship with you, Saul. Samuel turns to leave. Saul grabs the, uh, the edge of his robe and he tore it. Likewise, Saul, Samuel tells him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone who is better than you. Now, that's not the word you want to hear when you're king. But in verse 29, And God, the strength of Israel, is not a man that he should relent, 
or a man that he should change his mind. Samuel has told Saul, you are out as king. And it's that simple, Saul. This is Samuel, the prophet, whose words God did not allow to fall to the ground, who did not do anything but speak forth for God. And he says, God doesn't make mistakes, Saul. Your kingship is over. It's done. It's not a matter if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when it's going to happen. And Saul says again, I have sinned. However, yet, <laughs> honor me, Samuel, before the people and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. God has just become Samuel's God and not Saul's God. Turn with me. Your God, Samuel, not our God or not my God. But Samuel, he, he relents. He wants to worship God. He wants Saul to truly repent and worship the God. But Saul wants to have the people see him worshiping with the prophet. That's important to Saul, image. And in this worship, the people will get the impression that Saul... It's a righteous king. Not true, but that's the impression that Saul wants to give. About 10 years ago, here in the United States, there was a man running for his party nomination as president. He attended a Christian church in Chicago, and he professed to be a Christian. Ten years later, though, any true Christian in America who knows what a Christian is would not call this president a Christian president. But that's the image he wanted to give as a Christian. Saul is guilty of posturing. He wants to be seen as a God-fearing king. And that kind of thing still goes on in political circles today. But don't get too excited about our current president. I heard President Trump openly declare he does not ever remember asking God to forgive him of sin. Think about that. That leaves me with only one opinion. Our president is not a Christian. You must be forgiven of your sins to be a Christian. Our president is not a Christian. So don't expect him to act like a Christian because he will uh, disappoint you tremendously. He may or may not be a good leader, but I can tell you this, he is not a Christian by his own confession. But notice that with Samuel, he's got one more act as a prophet. He's got one more uh, duty to fulfill before he leaves Saul. So let's read verse 32 through 35. 
Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked, chopped Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Agag, a pagan king, he is on thin ice. He's thinking, he's hoping, because Saul has spared his life, that perhaps all is forgiven and he will survive. Hear his words. Surely the bitterness of death is past. Agag is saying, can't we all just get along? Listen to Samuel's words. As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. All of the image building, all of the posturing by Saul before the people, all the pleas for vengeance being over and done with between Israel and the Amalekites, is not over in the eyes of God. Therefore, it is not over by his prophet Samuel. Samuel, he does not trust Saul or his bodyguards to do the, the Lord's command. Samuel, the prophet, hacks Agag to pieces, and don't overlook this, before the Lord in Gilgal. I have a question. Whose sword did Samuel use? We're told in earlier in Scripture that the only swords, that, and this was earlier, belonged to Jonathan or Saul. It's very possible that Samuel took Saul's own sword and hacked this Agag king to death possible. But Samuel demonstrates obedience that Saul can see, that the people can see, by utterly destroying King Agag in the presence of God and in the presence of all of Israel. Agag, the pagan, sinful king, Israel's enemy, who had killed many Israelites, he must die. And God has declared that he must die. And Samuel is compelled to take this matter into his own hands and not trust Saul or his bodyguards to do what God wants done. That had to be a sight. Imagine it. Here's the prophet of God, and he's the one wielding the sword and chopping up Agag, the prophet of God doing 
the bloody, dirty work that should have been done by Saul. Security in today's churches is a major concern. I don't care what kind of seminar you go to, security is one of the top issues. And we have, believe it or not, security measures in place here. We try to keep you safe. Uh, I think it's important that we do that. When we were renting a building down on Artie Street, down right off the parkway, our children's church was separated from the main sanctuary, like it is here. We had a drunk come into our building after the service, and my ushers, or whoever you want to say, were not paying much attention to this guy, but I'm watching him because he's wanting to walk around and see what we're all about. And you could smell alcohol on him. And he beat, takes a beeline for the children's church. Well, I'm right with him. Where are my ushers? Where, where are my deacons now? You know? And he's looking around. So I get him by the back of the elbow and I'm ushering him back to where the adults are. Well, we get back into the sanctuary and everybody's visiting and everything. And he does one of these kung fu moves, like pulls away and he goes, uh, uh, and I, I popped back. I was about to pop him one. Then my ushers woke up. Oh, we got an issue here. <laughs> Pastor Don's about to hit this guy. <laughs> and I would have. <laughs> but he calmed down and he left. Saul is silent. Saul is speechless. We don't hear Saul saying a word. He cannot respond to the prophet of God taking his, perhaps his own sword and hacking Agag to pieces. Saul is dumbfounded by this all. The prophet doing what he should do. Today, let's bring this to some kind of closure, we have Muslim terrorists killing Christians throughout the world. Not only that, uh, over in Atlanta was that uh, young, young man that went into a church and he shot seven or eight people, whatever. So it goes on. These violent acts by terrorists against God people, let me just tell you that it does not go unnoticed by God. His people do not die in vain. Stephen, the first martyr, saw Jesus stand up to welcome him into heaven. Heaven notices when terrorists take on violent behavior and kill Christians. And they always seem to single out Christians if they can. But it's not 
readily available to the press so they don't talk much about Muslims killing Christians. But they're against God and against his people. In the same way that the Amalekites and their cowardly attacks against Israel when they were in the wilderness. Martyrdom goes on. More people have been martyred in the last five years than in any five years previous. I don't think God has called us to be sacrifices to terrorists. Forgive me, I just don't believe we're called to do that. And so we do have measures in place to protect you here. We really do. Uh, I was at a pastor's conference a few years back, and there was a, a Calvary Chapel pastor who pastored a church downtown Los Angeles in, the, in a very poor black neighborhood. And he openly admitted to all of us other pastors sitting there that he had an Uzi behind his pulpit. An Uzi? <laughs> You're going to take it out? <laughs> You're going to destroy But he did. He admitted that he had an Uzi machine gun behind his pulpit. I don't have anything. i got a cup of water. I'll throw the water in their face or something. But uh, we do have measures in place, though. But Samuel, he can't handle Saul's disobedience, his stubbornness, his witchcraft. And he no longer will visit with Saul or try to instruct Saul. He's through with Saul. But he mourned for Saul. Samuel mourned for Saul in the same way that a father would mourn from, for a, a wayward son. Samuel is heartbroken at Saul's behavior. And then we read that the Lord regretted making Saul king over Israel. But the story doesn't end there. For God, as he's finishing up Saul's reign as king, He's working in the heart of a shepherd boy out in the fields. And he's working with David one-on-one -on -one out in the wilderness, just watching over sheep. And David will become Israel's greatest king ever. And the message here is God does not forsake his people. He sees and he cares what's going on with Samuel and Saul and Israel, and he's raising up a future king in David. The good news there is God sees and cares what's going on in the political arena in America today. He cares. It breaks the Lord's heart that we as a nation are turning from him into our idolatry, into our sin, into our pride, and so forth. And he cares. God cares 
for us, his people, and he sees every act of violence against his people that goes on throughout the world. He did in the days of Saul and Samuel, and he does today. And God is our protection. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. First off, Lord, we want to thank you for your protection. For you are the good shepherd. You are the one who watches over us and takes care of us. Lord, we would pray for those in positions of authority over us, that you would lead them, that you would guide them in all the decisions they have to make. Lord, you, you instruct them in the way that they should go. So we lift up those that are over us, from the police departments all the way up to the president. Lord, we pray for those who are over us. Lord, may they turn to you. We would love to see our president become a Christian, Lord, so we pray for him. But, Lord, lead and guide those. We pray for times of peace for our nation. Watch over us, Lord, and take care of us. And, Lord, especially be with those who have suffered uh, violence from a terrorist or even death of a family member. Comfort their hearts, Lord. It's so sad to hear about those things. And uh, we would just say, pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Deliver us from this evil world. But in the meantime, Lord, give us boldness in your grace. Thank you again for loving us so much to take care of us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.